farthest corner of the good hand right stands a champion robed in white his height exceeds the heavens his weight outweighs the world his reach reaches everywhere his age is ever the Vols might lose, but he don't lose. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Take your Bible and be finding Luke chapter 14, the book of Luke chapter 14. You found in your bulletin this morning a little insert very similar to the one that you found a couple of Sundays ago. 
And during this time of the year, we are encouraging all of you to get involved, to find your course, to find your lane, to run the race that is set before you. And I'm encouraging all of you to get involved in one way or the other. Now, I know that everybody doesn't have the same gifts and not everybody serves the same way, but I do believe this, that every believer is to serve. Now, you may serve different ways, but every believer is to serve. I don't care who you are, you are to serve the Lord. And so what I want you to do, and really uh, these Sunday nights and as we move into January, is to challenge you to find your place in the work of God and become involved, be faithful to your work, and serve the Lord. And there are many different areas on there in which on that little sheet that you have that we want you, I uh, want you to pray about being a part of, many of them. This is the time to sign up for the next faith semester. We'll be having a faith banquet coming up in a few weeks, and, and I think it's in the middle of January. We'll be putting that on the screen, and this is for you to come and learn about faith if you're thinking about being a part of faith. And, uh, but uh, faith, I would challenge you all to get involved in that. It's, it's the greatest thing you'll ever get involved in. You say, I don't know if I can do that. I can't do that. That's what faith is about. For you that feel like you can't do it, you go through faith, you'll come out, and you can do it. That's what faith is all about. And uh, once you get involved in that, we, I want to strongly encourage many of you to become a part of the upper room, become a part of our prayer ministry. I want to say thank you to you that have been so faithful, and uh, of course, there's some that have dropped out by the wayside for various reasons, and some are legitimate reasons, I understand that. Some of you have been so faithful to be in your prayer time, and the upper room is a ministry where you just take a, an hour, sometime during your week, and be in the middle of the night, morning hours, whatever it is, uh, go back to our prayer room and uh, spend an hour there. There's instructions there for how you're to spend that hour, uh, different things. But I want to say thank you for being you that have been so faithful. But many of you, we want to get you involved in the prayer room. Prayer is critical to what we do around here. Amen? We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to be blessed of the Lord. And if we think there's a shortcut to being blessed of God, then you've got good, another, another thing to understand. But we want many of you to be a part of the upper room and then all the other areas we want you to get involved in. And so I hope tonight, if you're serving in the, there's a choir, the nursery, all these different things. And I know there's a you lot, it's like things that go on during the service, you would a lot rather be in here, and I understand that. But there's a joy about giving yourself and a joy about serving and that God will honor. So what I'm saying is I want all of you to get involved. Amen? Everybody working. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. I want to talk tonight about what makes the difference. What makes the difference? I believe if we're going to see things happen right here in the days to come, and what we have seen happen and what we will see happen, there is one thing that I believe makes a difference. And I'll say more about that, but I want you to look with me in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. In Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, the Bible said, And there went great multitudes with him, that is, with the Lord Jesus. And he, the Lord Jesus, turned, and this is what he said to them. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, now look at this, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 26, Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, he cannot be my disciple. Now, thank you may be seated. Jesus is making it very plain that there is something required in order to be a disciple. Now, we often refer to ourselves as believers and Christians, but you know what the most common name for a believer is in the Bible? It's a disciple. Jesus said here there's certain things required if you are going to be a disciple or a follower of the Lord. Of the Lord. And I'm going to sum up everything Jesus said in one word. I want you to get that word tonight. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to you, I thank you tonight for your goodness. We have been reminded tonight that you are a risen Lord and a living Savior. And we thank you tonight that the tomb is empty. But we also thank you, Lord, that the exceeding greatness of that power has been made available to us as believers. And so, Father, tonight we thank you for that wonderful truth. Now, Father, we know that you want to do something special here at Temple Baptist Church. We stand amazed at what you have done. We rejoice in what you have done. We rejoice in what you are doing. But, Lord, I know in my heart that you want to do even greater things. But I know, Lord, that if you do them, there will be a reason why you do them. So tonight I pray that you'll speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would lead all of our members to know the will of God for their life. And in this time when we're encouraging everyone to become involved and to be a part of serving you in the year 2002, I pray tonight that you would speak to hearts, and there'll be many tonight that'll say, I'm going to serve God. This is where I want to serve God. This is where I want to live for the Lord and follow the Lord. I pray you'd speak to many. But Father, tonight as a church, help us to realize what it's going to take if we're going to see you bless in a marvelous way. So bless your word. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit and use me now and I give myself to you that you might do a work in us for it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask these things. Amen. What is it that makes the difference? What is it that makes the difference in an ordinary Christian and an extraordinary Christian? Why is it that you have someone here that just is an ordinary believer? They live an ordinary Christian life. But on the other hand, here is somebody that is an extraordinary believer. They are blessed to the Lord. The Lord is doing things in their life. What is the difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary? 
What is the difference between a person that is rarely used of God and a person that is regularly used of God? You have seen some, it seemed like God never did anything with their life. But on the other hand, here is an individual it seems like the Lord uses in a special way. And here's someone that the Lord takes them, and he does something with their life. What is the difference between someone that is used on a rare basis and someone that is used on a regular basis? What's the difference? What's the difference between a church that exists and a church that exceeds? Why is it that some churches just seem to get by and then ever grow and nothing ever happens and no life is ever experienced there, no revival, no people are not getting saved, they just exist, exist. they barely maintain themselves. But on the other hand, here's a church that seems to be going forward. Here's a church that God seems to be doing things in. What's the difference? What's the difference between an ordinary Christian and an extraordinary Christian? What is the difference between a person that is rarely used and someone that is mightily used? What is the difference between a church that survives and a church that goes higher and higher? I believe there are many things that a person could say, and I'm sure if I were to interview tonight and ask you what you think, I'm sure we'd get a dozen and one answers tonight about what you think is the difference. But I believe if you take what Jesus said and sum it all up, I believe there is one word that explains what makes the difference. And I want to put that one word on the screen, and it's the one word, sacrifice. What is it? What makes the difference? Why is one an ordinary believer and another an extraordinary believer? It's sacrifice. Why is it that someone is rarely ever used of God and someone is mightily used of God? It is sacrifice. Why is it that one church doesn't do anything and another church does mighty things? It is the matter of sacrifice. I want you to understand something tonight, that nothing that will ever happen, nothing will ever happen here. There is nothing that will happen anywhere that somewhere there is not a matter of sacrifice. But yet this is the reason many, this is why many remain ordinary. This is why many are never used of God. This is why many churches exist rather than going on. This is where many back down. This is where many back up. This is where many back off. And this is where many back away because they do not want to pay the price. But I say to you again tonight, the difference between an ordinary believer and an extraordinary believer is someone paying the price. The difference between somebody being used of God and someone not being used of God is the matter of someone paying the price. And the difference between a church that exists and a church that exceeds and excels is the matter of someone paying the price. Again, I don't care what you look at. I don't care what subject you bring up. You'll find that behind it, there is the price that was paid and a sacrifice that was made. I think about this country. I think about all the freedoms that we enjoy. I think about all the privileges that we enjoy as Americans, but I want to remind you that all of our freedoms were bought at a tremendous sacrifice. That everything we enjoy tonight, there was a cost and a price that was paid. I think about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six men signed that document there, pledging their lives and pledging their fortunes and pledging their honor. And that was not a pledge that was lightly given. They meant it. And those 56 men that signed that Declaration of Independence, they paid a high, high price for what they did. 
I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but I think about the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Nine of them died in the war. Twelve had their homes ransacked, looted, burned, or occupied by the enemy. Two of them lost sons in battle. One of them had two sons that were captured. Four of them became prisoners of war. One of them's wife became a prisoner of war. And on and on and on it goes. They paid a price. There was the matter of sacrifice. I think about the church of Jesus Christ. I think about what we enjoy as believers today, but I want to remind you that the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ was paid for in blood. There was a price that was paid. The Bible tells us that the disciples of the apostles are the foundation of the church. And when you look at the lives of the apostles, you find that they paid a sacrifice. James, the brother of Jesus, and James, the son of Zebedee, were killed by mobs at Jerusalem. Matthew was run through by a sword in Ethiopia. Philip was hanged in Greece. Bartholomew was slain in Armenia. Andrew was crucified in Achaia. Thomas was killed by a lance in East India. Thaddeus was shot by Arras. Simon the Zealot was crucified by the Persians. Peter was crucified up, uh, upside down by the Romans. And John died on the Isle of Patmos. Every one of them paid a price. There was a cost. There was a matter of sacrifice. Are you listening to me tonight? What makes the difference is the matter of paying the price. And what makes the difference is a matter of sacrifice. I think about a fable that I read. Uh, this emperor who gathered the wisest people in his kingdom together. And he said to them, I want you to assemble all the great knowledge of our civilization so it will be available to future generations. And so they went out, and they went all over the world, the then-known world, and they spent years, and then they came back with a ten-bound volume, ten-bound volumes containing all the wisdom of the world. And the emperor looked at him and said, it's way too long. So they went out again. About two years later, they came back, and they had edited the ten volumes down to one volume. And the emperor looked at him and said, it's still too lengthy. It needs to be much smaller. So they went back and they worked on it again. And months later, they came back and they had condensed that one volume down to one paragraph. And the emperor was still not satisfied. He said, it must be smaller. So they went out and they came back several months later and they had condensed it all down from 10 volumes down to one single sentence. And the emperor said, that's great. I like it. He said, now we possess all the genius of the world that is contained in this one sentence. And you know what that one sentence was? You know what the one sentence was? There is no free lunch. In other words, what he was saying is that anything of value, there is a cost involved. There, there is a matter of sacrifice. The difference is whether or not we're willing to pay the price. The difference is whether or not we're willing to sacrifice. Are we willing to go the extra mile? Are we willing to give more than the average? Are we willing to do more than the ordinary? There is no free lunch to being used of God. There is no free lunch to building a great church. There is a price involved. There is a cost involved. I mentioned the Olympic runners this morning. 
And there's a cost involved for those. I read about a lady by the name of Pat McCormick that won four gold medals in diving in the 1952 Olympics in Helsinki. And she said that when she sat down and began to count the cost of what it would be included, she decided that it would require 100 dives a day, six days a week, 52 weeks a year. And she trained for 15 years to win those gold medals. There is a price involved. There is a cost. Nothing, nothing, nothing will happen without sacrifice on the part of the people of God. But again, the truth of the matter is when you talk about sacrifice, that is the one thing that we recall against. We don't want to sacrifice. We want to live our own little lives. We want to live in our own comfortable little worlds. And we don't want to have to sacrifice. And that's why we back down, back up, back off, and back away. But there is nothing that will ever happen without a sacrifice. You notice in verse 28, Jesus talked about counting the cost. He said in verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? Jesus is talking about looking at the cost of things, of looking at things and evaluating and what it's going to cost you and how much is going to have to be sacrificed. He's talking about a builder. And a builder looking at the cost involved. And of course, as we go through building, I learn more and more about the matter of building. And you got to look at a lot of things. You got to look at the cost of permits. You got to look at the cost of drawings. You got to look at the cost of site work. You got to look at the cost of materials. You got to look at the cost of labor. I read somewhere just the other day that it, in order to build a house, that it takes 74 different trades. And then on the average house, there'll be at least 225 different people that'll come on site during the building of that house. And there's much more involved in the cost. There is the matter of debt to look at the cost. So there's this matter of evaluating what is it going to cost in order to see something happen? What does it cost to be an extraordinary Christian? What does it cost to be used of God? What does it cost to build a great church for the Lord? There is a cost involved. Are you with me? There is a cost involved. In fact, thinking about a cost, I, I think about a story I read one time about this fellow that was going through the airport, and he was worried that he was going to miss his flight. He didn't have a watch, so he stopped this total stranger, and he asked him if he knew what the time was. He said, I've got to catch a flight to London. I do not have a watch. Do you know what the time was? And the fellow looked at him, and then he looked at the watch, a wristwatch on his arm, and he said, exactly 5.09. He said, the temperature outside is 73 degrees. And it's supposed to rain tonight. In London, the sky is clear and the temperature is 46 degrees. And the barometer reading there is 29.14. And he said, it's supposed to, it's in Singapore, the sun is shining brightly. It's 81 degrees. And by the way, there'll be a full moon tonight as you fly out of the airport. And the man looked at me and said, you mean to tell me that your watch told you all that? He said, oh, yes, and it tells me much more. He said, there's no other timepiece like it in the world. He said, it can tell you what Wall Street's doing. You can check on individual stocks. You can store up to 50,000 names and addresses and phone numbers. And with a touch of a button, you can be on the Internet and you can send emails. And the fellow looked at me and said, I've got to have that watch. I'll give you $10,000 for that watch. He said, oh, no, no. He said, I'm really I'm going to pass it on to my son. The fellow said, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I'll give you $50,000 for that watch. He said, really? He said, yes. And I've got the money on me right now. And he said, I'll give you, pay you right now $50,000 for the watch. And the fellow said, okay. So he took the watch off, handed to the man. The man put it on his arm and smiled real big and said, thank you, and started to walk off. 
And the fellow, when he first met him there, had two big old suitcases that he was carrying. He set them down and told him all of that. And the fellow started to walk up, and he said, wait a minute. He said, you forgot something. And he said, what's that? He said, you forgot the battery. Say amen right there. Well, let me say to you, there's a cost to be involved. Jesus explained the cost. Look at verse 26. He said in verse 26 that you cannot be my disciple. In verse 27, you cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is telling us what it will cost. That if you're going to be more than ordinary, it's going to cost you something. If you're going to be used of God, it's going to cost you something. If we are going to do something for God as a church, it's going to cost us something. What will it cost? Look at those three things and look at them briefly tonight. For one thing, there can be no rival to Jesus. Look what he said in verse 26. If we are going to be used of God and be blessed of God, there can be no rival to Jesus. Verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Someone said, you mean Jesus is telling me that I've got to hate my loved ones? I love my mother. I love my father. I love my brother and sisters. You mean Jesus is telling me I've got to hate them? No, that's not what he's saying. Jesus wouldn't tell you to love your enemies and then turn around and to hate your loved ones, would he? No, that's not what he's saying. Actually, the word hate that he uses there, and the word literally means to love less. Not that you would hate them as we think about hating someone, but he's saying that you are to love them less. The real sense is found in Matthew 10, 37, when Jesus said, If any man loveth father or mother, houses or land, more than me is not worthy than me. What Jesus is talking about there is not that we're to hate our family, but he's saying that we're to love him above anybody else. He's telling me that I am to have a deep love for my family. I am to have a deep love for my children. I have a deep love for those around me, but I am to love him more than anybody else. What does it mean? What's the cost? What is the sacrifice? I'll tell you what the sacrifice is and what the cost is and being more than ordinary and doing more than average. You've got to love Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world. It's a question of priority. Who do you love the most? And do you love someone down here more than you do Jesus Christ? You're to love them, but yet your love is to be supreme for him. You're to love him more than anyone else. For example, you ladies, imagine when your husband proposed to you. Imagine that he walked up to you and he's, and he's taught said, I want you to marry me, but I want you to understand I want to marry you under one condition. And that is if down the road I meet somebody else that I like and love more than you, then you'll have to leave them. Well, no woman would ever accept that proposal. But yet Jesus Christ comes along and he says, I want to be Lord of your life, that I am to be first in your life. That I am, to, you are to love me more than anything else. Jesus Christ is to be Lord. Now listen to me. That is a cost involved. And that love will cost you something. It'll mean that you've got to love him more than anything else. And to love him more than anyone else. But you're to love him no matter what it costs you. Is loving him above everything. He's to be Lord. That's part of the sacrifice. And I want you to listen to me tonight. When you talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is not a subject our Lord will negotiate. He will not settle for a place in your life. 
He will not even settle for prominence in your life. He doesn't negotiate how much of your life that he gets. He won't even negotiate. You don't come to him and say, Lord, now I want to love you and I want to serve you, but Lord, I don't want to really give you everything. Let me give you 70% of my life. And Jesus says, I will not accept it. He doesn't negotiate this matter. It's all or nothing. You see, it's like someone, Alan Redpath said, when Jesus comes into your life, it is not on the basis of a democracy. It is on the basis of a dictatorship. He doesn't move into your life in order to give you a right to choose what you want to do. He moves in your life to take over and to tell you what to do. But there's this matter of loving him. There can be no rival to Jesus Christ. you got to love him more than anything or anyone. Amen? Second of all, not only does he tell us there can be no rival to Jesus, but in verse 27, there can be no refusal of Jesus. Look what he said in verse 27. In verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said, first of all, if you don't love every other thing in this life less than me, you cannot be my disciple. And second of all, if you do not bear your cross or carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. He's talking about this matter of cost. You know, you, some of you probably read the devotion in my book on author blessed. Author blessed is, according to Guinness Book of World Records, holds the record for the greatest distance walked and the most countries that is visited. Since beginning his walk in December 25, 1969, he's walked over 34,184 miles, visiting 367 countries. And today, in his 60s, he still walks up to 20 miles a day. And what is so interesting about his walk is that he carries a cross, 12 foot long, 6 foot wide, weighing 40 pounds, and he's carried it all this way. And everywhere he goes, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus said, take up my cross, he's not saying that you go out and get you a 40-pound cross and start carrying it to work with you. And when Jesus said, take up my cross, he's not saying, do like Arthur Blessed and walk around the world carrying the cross. Now, what does he mean when he talked about the cross? It means the same thing as a gas chamber means to us. It means the same thing as the electric chair means to us. The cross was a symbol of death. And when Jesus said, take up my cross, he's talking about his dying. We often think about our problems as being our cross. And we often think about our handicaps as being our cross. Like one lady went to her pastor and said, oh, pastor, I've got a cross to bear. Will you help me pray about it? And he said, what is it? And she said, it's my temper. He said, no, you've got to sin. Your husband's got a cross to bear, amen. <laughs> but it's not talking about handicaps. It's not talking about problems and burdens that you have. This is my cross to bear. When Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross, he's saying, you cannot be my disciple unless you die. You cannot be my disciple unless there's a death to self. What does it cost to serve God? It means that you come to the end of your ambition. It means it comes to the end of your plans. You die to your will. You die to your desires. You die to your goals. You die to your ambitions. You die to your will. You die totally to his will. Someone asked George Mueller, why is it God has blessed you so? And they said Mueller bowed his head and he said, because there was a day that George Mueller died. Now, that's part of the sacrifice. And you listen to me tonight. There's no crown without a cross. 
There is no crown without a cross. Do you want God to do something with your life? Then sacrifice is essential. And part of that sacrifice means that you get to give up everything around you and not only give it up and love Christ more than anything, but you've got to give your own self up. You've got to die. That's part of the cross. That's part of the sacrifice. But the third thing, not only he says that the cost of following the Lord means that there'll be no rival to Jesus and no refusal of Jesus. But in verse 33, there'll be no retreat from Jesus. Notice what he said in verse 33. He said, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He's talked about loving everything else and everyone else less than him and loving him more than anything else. Loving, not loving yourself, but loving him to the point that you're willing to die. Die to yourself. Die, let the flesh be crucified. Dying to the plans of God. But now, he says, unless you forsake all things, you cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? He's talking about burning the bridges in your life. So you can't go back. He said, giving it up at all, giving everything up, forsaking everything, burning the bridges. It's like saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Nobody has ever been blessed of God and nobody's ever been used for God that did not burn the bridges behind them. They somewhere died to self and said, Lord, this is what you want me to do. And they raised their sails and set full sail in God's direction and they cut the strings behind them and burned the bridges behind them. There was nothing to fall back on. It was sink or swim on the will of God. That's a cost. And nobody's ever been used of God that was not willing to pay that cost. I think about David Livingston. David Livingston, most history books nowadays, they talk about him being an explorer. I want you to understand something. David Livingston was an explorer, but first and foremost, he was a missionary. That's what David Livingston was all about. David Livingston went to Africa when no white man had ever been to the interior of Africa. David Livingston was a brilliant man. He was a scholar. He was a man that graduated from the University of Glasgow with a degree in medicine. But he said, I want to be a missionary. I want to go to Africa. I want to go to where the gospel's never been preached. I want to go where the people have never heard the gospel. So he chose to be a missionary, and he died in Africa. When David Livingston died, I was reading about it just this afternoon. When David Livingston died, I read about how the natives carried him into his tent, and he put him in his hut there. He was so weak. And they went back in in the morning hours to check on him, and they found him on his knees, dead beside his bed. They dried his body, preserved his body, and they prepared his body to, sent back, to be sent back to England. But before they did, they took his heart out. And they said, his body may belong to England, but his heart belongs to us. And they buried his heart under a tree there in Africa. And they sent his body back to England where he's buried with honors in Westminster Abbey. But David Livingston, the sacrifices he made were incredible. One day out in the bush, he was attacked by a lion. A lion come running out of the bush and sunk its teeth in his left arm, crushing his left arm. 
and making it useless for the rest of his life. The natives had to kill the lion and to break the lion's teeth from off of his arm. A woman named Mary nursed him back to health. He fell in love with Mary. They were married, and she went back with him to Africa, and they had five children. While crossing one of the vast uh, plains in Africa, one of the children came de became deathly ill and died. So they made the decision, the conclusion, that it would be far safer for Mary and the children to go back to England or go back to Scotland rather than to be on the field. And David Livingston said it was the most difficult decision that I ever made in my life, the most difficult decision that of my life I made when I sent my wife and my four children back to Scotland. For five years, David Livingston did not see his wife and he did not see his children. And the loneliness was almost unbearable. He returned. When he finally did return, he learned that his father had died. He loved his father more than anything else. And he came back to an empty house that he grew up in. His heart was crushed. He went back to Africa. And many years passed away. His children grew up. And then Mary decided to join him. And shortly after she arrived, she came down with a fever and died. And he buried her under a large tree in Africa. But I want you to listen to what he wrote in his diary the day that he buried his wife. This is what he wrote. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or on anything I do except in relation to thee. It was 16 years later before he returned to England and to his beloved country of Scotland. And when he returned, he was looked upon as a hero. He was looked upon as, as a celebrity. He was invited to come back and speak at the University of Glasgow where he had graduated. The custom in those days was that the undergraduates would always heckle visiting speakers. They would always laugh at them. They would always speak out loud. They would uh, stomp their feet. They would beat the chairs and different things. They would have their little noisemakers. They'd even have their pea shooters. That was the custom of that day. And so they were ready for the speaker with their little toy trumpets and with their whistles and with their rattles and even their pea shooters. They were ready for Livingstone, ready to heckle him, ready to laugh at him, ready to make fun of him, ready to disrupt his speech until they saw him. And when David Livingston walked in and walked to that platform, they did something that had never been done before. Livingston came to the platform with the tread of a man who had already walked 11,000 miles, that left arm hanging lifelessly at his side, his body emaciated, his skin a dark brown from the African sun, his face wrinkled from the ravages of several, several African fevers that had racked his body. He was half deaf from rheumatic fever, half blind from a branch that had slapped him in his eyes. But before he ever began to speak, again, the students did something that was unheard of. They put down their noisemakers. They laid all of their things down, and then they all silently stood to their feet. And throughout the whole speech, not one student spoke a word. Not one student sat down during the whole speech. For they were looking at a man that was the epitome of sacrifice. 
And they were so moved. What is it that makes the difference? What is it that makes the difference? I'll tell you what it is. It's sacrifice. You will not find one person used of God that somewhere has not paid the price. You'll not find one church that is ever used of God that does not pay the price. It's sacrifice, counting the cost. There is no rival to Jesus. There is no refusal to Jesus. There is no retreat from Jesus. You know what we, all the things where we go in the days to come. Even when we talk about building, we've been saying a lot about building. I want you to understand something. You know, we'll never get this building done without sacrifice. It's going to take more than us just dropping in our few little pennies and our little bits on Sunday morning. What if we ever get it done and we raise the money we have to raise over the next two, about next year and a half, next year and eight, next 18 months, whatever like that, it'll be because we do more than just give a little bit. It'll mean that every one of us sacrifice. It'll mean every one of us dig down and give every available penny we have in order to see this work go on for the glory of God. You know how we'll have ministries and how we'll win people to the Lord? It'll be more than just people that have come. It'll take more than choir members that'll show up whenever they want to show up. It'll take more than Sunday school teachers coming whenever they want to come and laying out any Sunday they want to lay out. It'll take more than leaders and officers coming to church if they have nothing else to do. But if there's something else going on, then off they go and do this and lay out of the house of God. It'll take people committed to this thing. It'll take people committed to their job. It'll take people saying, I sing in the choir, and that is important. I teach a Sunday school class, and that is important. I work in faith, that is important. I am a greeter, that is important. I am a deacon, that is important. It'll mean that you make a commitment and that you sacrifice everything else in order to put God first in your life. And if we're not willing to pay that price, then we'll never go any more or higher than where we are. We'll never see more done than what we've seen. We'll never build bigger than what we've got. It'll take people that are willing to pay the price. But I'll tell you something. My Lord was willing to leave heaven one day to give everything so I wouldn't have to go to hell. That's all I need to give in my life. That's all the reason I need to say there will be no rival to you in my life. There'll be no refusal to you in my life. There'll be no retreat from you in my life. That's worth paying the price for, and that's worth the sacrifice. Would you stand? Temple Baptist Church, God has given us a great opportunity in the future, but it'll take everybody being willing to pay the price, willing to make a commitment, Willing to say that the things of God are first in my life. Everything else is secondary. Willing to be faithful to God and even sacrifice if necessary to do so. Sacrifice in our giving. I give and I give and every year for a number of years I've increased my giving. And I'll give more next year. And every year that I give more, the more it begins to bite into things. Many times I've sat down and I thought if hadn't given this much to the church this week, I'd be able to do this and be able to do that. But I, I decided one time, a long time ago, that it was not how much money I had in the bank that mattered. It's what I was laying up on the other side. What I was doing etern for eternal reasons. And it'll mean a sacrifice. Are you willing to pay that price? 
Are you willing to say, look, I've lived my own little life, but I'm going to do what Jesus wants. I'm going to serve God in 2002. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve here. Lord, this is what you want me to do. This is what you want me to, however you want me to serve. It may cost you a nine of your week. It may cost you a few more hours of your week. But don't you think one night of your week or th th three services a week or coming in an hour or two early or staying an hour or two late on Sundays and, and giving more and giving more is worth at least what Jesus deserves for what he's done for you? Some of you, 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 almost, you almost choke to death. You can't get out here at 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. But where churches, where people, where they're seeing God do something, there's people that come in and they'll be here in the early morning hours and they'll leave in the late afternoon. That's commitment. That's a price you pay to do something for God. It's not just going to happen for us to show up five minutes late and leave five minutes early. No, it means that some of us, what we're going to do in the future and where we're going to go and what we're going to try to do for God and ministries we're trying to have, it'll mean some of us will have to pay a price for it. And if we don't want to pay the price, then we might as well tell God now, and we might as well say it now so we don't go out in the future and, and, and go into debt and build this and build that. If we're not going to do anything for God, then let's just maintain what we got and do our best to survive with what we have. But if we want to see God do more, then it's going to take people that are willing to be committed to God. And it's going to take people that are willing to pay the price. You see, there's something about sacrifice that gets the attention of others. You believe that? Amen. The only time I've ever considered leaving here was about four years ago, three years ago, and you remember this. And I struggled in my heart about leaving. It's the only time in 15 years here. And it was the only reason I struggled was because of the opportunity that had opened up and the opportunity it was presented to me. And one of the things, and, and I look back now, and one of the things God did was He changed my life in that process. He renewed my vision and put something in my heart for this place that I didn't have until that time. And my whole life and my whole purpose and being here, my vision for this church totally changed in that process. But we were invited to this church and we arrived there and uh, on Saturday and different things, all things went on. There were over 1,100 people in the services the Sunday morning I was there. I went in and spoke in the 8.30 service. I spoke in the 10.30 service. I spoke in the service that night. They took me through these facilities and everything. They showed me their plans. They showed me drawings of a 2,500-seat auditorium. They said, we got a million dollars in the bank. We're just waiting for the preacher to get here, to get ready and get started on it. And they, just everything. It was one of the most appealing things I'd ever seen in my life. But I saw something there that changed my life and stirred me. I saw people that were committed. I saw people that were willing to pay a price. I saw a choir that was there in the 8.30 service that was also there in the 10.30 service. People that were getting there at 6 in the morning and going home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and then turning around being back that night. People that were committed and people that were paying a price, but all you had to do is look around and see what was going on and see that it took sacrifice to do it. Now, I don't know what it will require all of us in the days to come, but I don't want to just sit here on the corner of 3200 Rossville Boulevard and exist. I want to see God take us and do something through us and with us and by us. I want to see God amaze even us and glorify His name by doing something here that astound the world. That's what I want to see God do. 
And if we are willing to pay the price, you are willing to pay the price. If you're willing tonight, take that little piece of paper out and say, listen, I've never had time for this. I've got this, but I'm going to get involved. I'm going to become a part of the prayer room. I'm going to become a part of faith. I'm going to teach Sunday school. I'm going to work in the nursery. I'm going to be in children's chapel. I want to be in Awana. Giving up something in order to serve God. That's what I'm talking about doing. Will you do that tonight? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You've listened well, and thank you so much.